This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. With me now is Wang Chang Ma, who's a portfolio manager for Investec Asset Management based in Hong Kong. And she recently wrote a piece, a presentation, in fact, called The Changing Face of Asia and China. Wang Chang, thanks for joining me. Asia is innovating. This is the most impactful slide that I saw right at the beginning because it talks about research and development, R&D, and the amount of money that those two regions, Asia and China, are spending compared to the rest of the world. Also, the patent data, quite extraordinary. Yes, I think China does have a, a very strong case in terms of innovation. In China, there is a large a consumer base, and that consumer base is also getting wealthier by the day. At the same time, we do have very efficient supply chain for people who have been to China. I'm sure you have seen the logistics and the infrastructure that we have on the ground in the country that's very, very supportive of innovative companies to sell their products around as well. And at the same time, there is an abundance of uh, private capital, partly due to the fact that China still does not have a completely open uh, capital account. So a lot of the private capital uh, are uh, trying to look for opportunities to invest inside the country. And apart from all these, there is very supportive policies from the Chinese government. So all of those are helping to boost innovation inside the Chinese economy. And actually, if we just look at the R&D spending as a percentage of GDP, China is running ahead of the Eurozone uh, in average. What about the risks, though, Wen Chang? I mean, I've just seen over the last couple of days on international television stations with great fanfare the opening of the world's longest, I think, over the water, if that's the right phrase, bridge linking Hong Kong where you are and the Chinese mainland. 20 billion US dollars, I think, was the total cost. And that sort of raises a few risks, I think, because that's an awful lot of money. And that sort of says something about the incredible expansion. Is there a debt risk? The debt risk has always been on investors' minds when we look at China. And I think it is a very fair concern and it has to be quite high on the priority list when we analysis about the risks in China going forward. And so if we look at the overall uh, debt situation over the past, it has been building up, especially during the financial crisis when China was trying to stimulus its way out of recession from a global perspective. And that really had pushed up the debt level overall inside the country. But what the government has been pushing over the past few years is the supply side reform uh, and the very stringent environmental control. And that has actually pushed out quite a lot of excess capacities in old economies and made the companies who managed to stand uh, stronger from a financial perspective. So margins have got higher, cash flow has improved, they managed to pay down that, and overall leverage situation in China's old economy has improved. And that's where China's debt risk was the highest over the past. So the result is that um, uh, in 2017, beginning of 2018, we have continued to see the overall corporate leverage being stabilized to slightly going down, and banks' NPL ratios have actually not been increasing. And so overall, the debt situation continues to be a risk for the long term, but that looks quite manageable from where we stand now. So as long as you still have solid 
corporate fundamental earnings growth and cash flow situation, CapEx being maintained under discipline. Um, so I think overall, the situation should be manageable. What about economic growth? We had a recent GDP print from China, and some people in the West seem to be rather disappointed by that. What do you make of it? I think it is always a bit dangerous trying to sum up China with just one single number, especially if it is uh, just a GDP growth number, because China is such a vast country. And uh, if you're looking at uh, uh, the top tier city or the second tier city versus the third or the fourth tier city or the rural area, the picture is completely different. Um, so I think in using just a one number trying to sum up the entire China would be mistaken and it would be easily missing out the opportunities that are on the ground. So we need to take a fundamental bottom-up view, look at individual companies, what kind of growth opportunities there are, the quality of the business, operating momentum, and also the valuations. Those are the key drivers of the long-term performance on the equity side. It's not actually the macro drivers, or sometimes people look at the uh, policy news headlines, all those kind of noises can create quite a bit of volatility in the short term. But in the long term, I think we should look through the noises. Talking about equities, you make a very bold statement. You say China A shares represent a once in a lifetime opportunity. What then is your case for China A shares? Well, China A shares are trading very cheap at the moment. They are trading at below their 10-year historical average uh, in terms of the devaluation and also very, very cheap comparing to the developed markets, no matter you compare it to the U.S. or to Europe, and especially attractive when you compare to the growth that it is presenting as an, an aggregate versus these other markets. On the Asia market side, we're seeing quite a lot of the global investors are looking increasingly at China A-shares, and that is partly pushed by the index inclusions announced by MSCI and also by FTSE Russell. So uh, both indexes are increasing their inclusion of China A-shares. Uh, for MSCI, they are looking to increase the inclusion factor from 5% to 20% next year, and for FTSE Russell, it's going to be the first time that they include A-shares into the emerging market benchmark index next year. And as a starting point, China A-shares will already account for about 5.5% of the emerging market index for FTSE Russell. So that is quite substantial. And uh, the inclusion of these indexes are going to trigger passive flows into the Asia market. And active flows are already looking at positioning, and some of them will also follow the passive flows afterwards, so depending on the asset manager's individual strategy on the region. But either way, the trend is very clear. So global investors as a group will not be able to continue to ignore China as a market in the future. So people look at the growth perspective of this market, the cheap valuation, index inclusion trend, and also the diversification benefit that China has to offer versus the rest of the equity market globally. And I think people see the opportunities on this market and are thinking about making the allocation using a more serious strategy. We can't have a chat about the Chinese economy or the case for Chinese equities, whether it be A-shares or whatever, without talking about the so-called trade war, which was initiated by Mr. Trump. Does it worry you? It doesn't seem to worry a Chinese official who recently said we don't fear a trade war. Do you fear it? 
I think the trade war is probably something that uh, we have to be ready for for quite a long period of time, because if we look at what has been driving this conflict between the U.S. and China, it was actually the Made in China 2025 initiative, uh, where China has announced that it wants to be the global leader in quite a lot of these very important strategic areas, be it robotics or high-speed rail, uh, internet and uh, healthcare, etc., etc. So in all these areas, China is taking up a more and more strategic importance globally, and that is a challenge for U.S. in its traditional global strategic position. So I think the conflict lies deeper than uh, import and export, and the trade conflict is probably just a window to reflect this uh, longer and deeper conflict between the two countries. And so there is a risk that this may actually last longer than the current year. And at the same time, I also think that the trade war presents a certain degree of opportunities for China in the sense that uh, China at the moment is pushing for quite a lot of reforms. And also we have talked about innovation happening on the ground in China with the trade war being a threat to economic growth. I think China is probably very likely going to accelerate in some of these reforms and also push forward with its innovation efforts. Your last two points in your conclusion are very simple points, and I like simplicity. You say Asia remains cheap relative to the rest of the world, and you also say investors remain underweight Asia, which should provide further room to outperform. It's a nice way to summarize. It's cheap. Yes, China overall is still very, very cheap from a valuation point of view. It is trading at below its 10-year historical average, and if we look at it from a forward-looking price-to-earnings metrics, it is trading also cheaper comparing to Europe, comparing to the U.S., uh, despite the more attractive growth profile. So the valuation argument is quite strong for China at the moment. Wen Chang, thank you very much for your time. That's Wang Chang Ma, Portfolio Manager for Investec Asset Management in Hong Kong. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.